little bit of a wild and a restless sleeper. Any wild and restless sleepers here today? You'd be willing to admit you turn, you toss, you talk in your sleep, you walk in your sleep, you say things in your sleep, all those. Anybody? Can I see your hands again? Okay, good. Well, I am. And in fact, on the second night of being married, on my honeymoon, I was having a dream that there was a rat on the wall in the room that we were staying in. And I bolted up in bed, pointed up and said, there's a rat on the wall. Needless to say, I woke up in the morning with my wife clinging to me, tightly to me. And she said, honey, where's the rat? Honey, where's the rat? And I said, what? Oh, my goodness. And I started laughing because I started remembering my dream. I'm a little bit of a wild sleeper. In fact, I wish I could say, man, that's been 27 years ago. Is that right? 27 years ago um, that that happened, and it doesn't happen anymore. But just about a month ago, um, I had a dream that someone was breaking into our house. And so in the middle of the night, I literally jumped over on top of my wife to protect her. And she started going, honey, what are you doing? I said, shh. She goes, honey, what are you doing? I said, shh. She said, honey, what are you doing? I said, honey, be quiet. I was wanting to protect her from the intruder that was about ready to come in. And so I've always been kind of a wild sleeper. In fact, when I was my junior year in high school, I built a loft over my, in my bedroom so that I could build, have a, an office, uh, a, a desk underneath of it. And in the middle of the night, I rolled out of my bed, smacked my head on a weight bench, and fell down. In the morning, my brother came in, and he, he looked at me real funny. He goes, are you okay? Kind of like that. And I was like, yeah, why? And he said, do you not remember what happened? And I said, no, I don't. And he said, well, you rolled out of bed in the middle of the night, smacked your head. We came in. We took you to the hospital. We were asking you questions. You were answering questions. You were asking questions. I said, am I still dating my girlfriend, Patty? The girl I was dating at the time, the only girl I've ever dated besides my wife. No, actually, it's not totally true. Lord, forgive me for lying in church. Am I still dating my, my, my girlfriend, Patty? Am I still driving, driving? Do I still have my car? All these different questions I was asking because I could not remember what was going on. Now, what, what's interesting is that my bed was six and a half foot tall. And what happened is I did not create some boundaries on my bed in order to keep me safe in my bed. See, I thought, you know what, I'm old enough, I'm mature enough, I can handle this, and I ended up rolling out of bed in the middle of the night, smacked my head on my weight bench. I'm surprised it didn't kill me, to be quite honest with you. And, and it's amazing how we don't create boundaries a lot of times in our life. And I, and I think this is the way that it is for a lot of us. We don't want to build things into our life to keep us safe. We don't. We don't want to really have some parameters in our life to keep ourselves safe. We want to be safe. We want to enjoy the benefits of safety, especially during storms. We just don't want to have anything in our life that is going to restrict us in any way. At least that's what we believe it will do is restrict us. Or if we do put something in place, we actually choose to ignore it because what we want to do is we want to live in the moment. We, we want to live according to our feelings and according to our passions, even though it might produce a storm in our life that could have a devastating effect on us and other people in our lives. So we either don't build in restrictions into our life that will protect us, or we ignore the restrictions that we build into our lives. And so what ends up happening is we end up inviting a lot of storms into our life. 
Now, we've been talking about storms, and we've been talking about how we're all going to deal with storms. And many of the storms, to be honest with you, that we deal with come from the outside. There are things that other people do or the environment that we live in. We live in a fallen world. That even though we're children of God, we still live in a fallen world and we're affected sometimes by storms from the outside. But sometimes, unintentionally, or just not recognizing what's going on, we actually invite storms into our life that create a lot of challenges or damage to to us, to our families. And so I want us to understand today that God has provided a way for you and I to learn how to weather any storm. He's provided a way that when the storm comes, not if the storm comes, that when the storm comes, we can learn how to weather it. And I want to start off by showing you from God's word how to weather a storm. It's from the verse that we've been looking at in our intro video from Matthew 7. It says this, therefore, anyone who hears these words of mine and puts them into practice, today you're hearing the words of God in your life, you have to actually put them into practice is a wise man who built his house on the rock. The rain came down, the streams rose, and the wind blew and beat against the house, yet it did not fall because it had its foundation on the rock. But everyone who hears these words of mine and does not put them into practice is like a foolish man who built his house on sand. The rain came down, the storm blew in, the streams rose, and the winds blew and beat against the house, and it fell with a great crash. So God's plan for us to weather the storms in our lives is to build our lives upon his word, to build his life on the foundation, to allow his word to become the rock in our lives that we build our lives on. So we've been looking through this series at the life of Joseph and how other people in Joseph's life brought storms into his life. And we learned from Joseph how to have a strategy for struggle. Now, we all have a strategy to succeed, but a lot of times we don't don't have a strategy for struggle, and so it surprises us when we struggle. But the first thing that we learned was that Joseph submitted himself to God. In the midst of our challenge, we immediately go to God and go, God, I don't know what's going on, but I know that you do, and I submit myself to you that what I'm going through, you're going to take me through, and I'm going to grow through what I'm about ready to walk through. The second thing was that he stayed. He had the ability just to remain, because a lot of times in the storm, we want to quit. We want to bail. We want to check out of the relationship with God. We want to check out of the relationship with someone else. We want to check out of doing the things that we know to do that are going to get us to where we want to go. But he stayed. Finally, he served. In fact, he served another man's dream while his was unfulfilled. And because he did that, he was able to get through the struggle that's in his life. And so today I want to look at the life of King David. And so that we can learn how sometimes our own behavior can bring storms into our life and how we can avoid it. How many of you think that would be great to know? How to avoid the storms that we have a tendency to bring into our lives. See, David had storms in his life. In fact, again, you look at the mighty men and mighty women of faith from the Old Testament, every one of them had a storm in their life. And we have a tendency to think of storms as always a negative thing, but storms build character in us. See, when when the wind blows against a tree, what it forces the tree to do is to push its roots down further. And God loves you just the way that you are, but he wants to get you to everything that he wants you to be. 
So sometimes in the storm, we've got to allow our roots to get pushed down deeper. And some of the storms in David's life were created by other people, and some of the storms were created by him. Now, many of you know the story of David, beginning in 1 Samuel chapter 16, that when the prophet came to anoint one of the sons of Jesse, and and Jesse knew this, he invited all of his sons but David. David, you stay out in the field, keep an eye on this, because one of my older sons is going to be anointed. Forgotten, and yet when Samuel began to look at all the men, he thought, oh, here's a good-looking guy. Here's, here's, a, here's somebody that's going to be king. God said, no, that's not the one. Got all the way down to the 15-year-old David, and God, said, and God told Samuel, he's the one. He's going to be the next king of Israel. 15-year-old boy. Of course, you know the story how even though he was anointed to be king, he didn't step into it immediately. In fact, he continued to serve his father. And while serving his father, he ran an errand for his father, which, sons, it's always great to run errands for your father. Let David be a great example. And same with you daughters also. You know the story how he ran food to his three older brothers because the Israelite army was fighting against the Philistines. And when he shows up on the scene, Goliath, the nine-foot giant, is taunting the children of Israel and challenging them to come out and fight him. When David heard him taunting them, he said, who is this uncircumcised Philistine that he should defy the armies of the living God? You know the story, it gets back to King Saul. King Saul hears it, so he sends him out to fight him, tries to put on his armor, which by the way, you don't walk in someone else's anointing, you walk in your own anointing. You don't walk in someone else's calling, we're all unique, we all have a different calling. And so when he tried on the armor, it didn't fit, so he takes his slingshot and one stone, and with one stone, knocks down the giant. So what happens? David becomes a hero. He, he gets the hand of King Saul's daughter. Now he's a son-in-law to the king. You would think because of that, his life is going to be happily ever after, right? No. In fact, what happens because he did that, Saul becomes jealous because the women of Israel were singing, Saul has killed his thousands, but David has killed his ten thousands. So Saul begins hunting him down. Again, I want you to remind you, this is God's anointed king. There was a blessing and a favor that was put upon him, and Saul begins to hunt him down. He hunts him down in, all over Israel, into other countries. For eight long years, he is on the run from King Saul. I want to remind you, he's anointed to be the king of Israel, and he's on the run. How many of you realize that's a storm in his life? There's a storm all around him all the time. In fact, it's, it's in this period of time that he wrote some of the greatest psalms that he had to remind himself all the time. Why are you downcast, O oh my soul? Put your hope in him. Because listen, when you're going through the storm, doubt, fear, and unbelief is whispering to you so much, you can find yourself getting depressed and anxious in the middle of the storm. Eight long years this happens. And finally, the Philistine army begins to invade Israel, so Saul has to withdraw from chasing David and goes after out to fight the Philistine army. While fighting the Philistine army, Saul is killed. So David becomes king. He becomes king, first of all, in Hebron, and then seven years later, he becomes king over all of Israel. Listen, David remained faithful through all the challenges that he walked through. In fact, two different times, he had the opportunity to kill Saul. And, and, and most of us would see that as an opportunity, saying, God, thank you that you delivered my foe into my hand. I'm going to kill the foe now. And yet he remained faithful because he didn't want to touch 
God's anointed. And under David's rule, we enter into one of the most prosperous times in Israel's history. In fact, his son Solomon was going to enter into the most wisest and the richest time that the world has ever seen. And if you think that anything was going to trip up David, it would have been the storms and struggles that he brought into his life. But listen to this. Sometimes after the storm, we can let down our guard and not stay focused on the thing that got us through the storm. And we see this with David. He becomes king, and again, he starts taking over territory that has been promised to Israel as their inheritance. He captures Jerusalem. He defeats the Philistines, Syria, Moabites, the Ammonites, the Amalekites, and every other ite that there was. He begins to overcome them, and then David gets distracted. You know, it's something about trouble that really forces us to lock into the goodness of God that forces us to really press into him and say, God, I need you in my marriage right now. God, I need you to do something supernatural. When you go through a financial struggle, we lock in and say, God, thank you that you are my provider. God, thank you that I trust you. My trust is in you today. My hope is in you today. But sometimes when we get through the storm, we get distracted. We become what I talked about, how the the cares of this life, the deceitfulness of wealth, starts choking out the word of God in our lives, and David gets distracted. For whatever reason, David did not continue to do the purpose that he was designed to do. In fact, it's one of the reasons why we're so passionate about the growth track, because we think that you need to know your purpose if you're actually going to walk in your purpose. And sometimes as we're walking in our purpose, we don't really see the, the, the importance of our purpose in the moment. But what we don't recognize is that God's building things in us and developing things in us to get us to where he wants us to be. So David gets distracted and we see it in 2 Samuel 11. It says this, in the spring, at the time when kings go off to war, David sent, notice he didn't go, but David sent Joab out with the king's men and the whole Israelite army. They destroyed the Ammonites and besieged Rabbah, but David remained in Jerusalem. At a time when David should have been doing the thing that he was supposed to do, he decided to stay behind. And listen, while we have to develop a strategy for struggle, we've got to recognize that it's going to come and we've got to have the strategy. We also have to learn how to handle success. Let me say that again. We also have to learn how to handle success. You see, because David stayed behind, he got bored. And when we get bored, our focus gets misdirected. And suddenly, instead of being the thing that he's supposed to be doing and becoming, he's focused elsewhere. And so one night, because he's lazy, he slept, took a nap. He gets up in the middle of the night and he goes up and he sits on the roof and he looks down and he sees a gorgeous woman bathing he invites her over to his house and has adultery with her that she gets pregnant so now he has to figure out a way to figure that out so he brings her husband home tries to get them to sleep together so he can pass it off as his son the the man refuses to do it finally ends up leading to murder so because David stayed behind he commits adultery and murder and he brings devastation on himself on his family and on the nation of Israel and I don't know what happened to David I don't know if he just got tired, because how many of you know when you're serving the Lord and you're showing up every Sunday to get the donuts out, sometimes you get tired. When you show up every Sunday and you're a greeter here at the church and you're welcoming people, sometimes you just get tired. 
when you're serving in children's ministry and you're teaching those little kids and they're snot coming on them because they're running snot down you and you're helping out working with the kids, sometimes you just get tired. And I don't know if David got tired or maybe he just stopped leaning into God. But I often wonder how in our own lives, when the storms come into our lives, we run to God and press into him. But when things become good again, do we continue to do the things that we did when the storm was raging in our life? Do we allow ourselves to get distracted as followers of Jesus Christ? Do we get off course in the process and bring storms into our lives? So in the time remaining, I'd like to talk to you about how to keep yourself safe and steady on the path and the plan that God has for you. How to recognize after the storm, how to stay focused in the good times so your behavior doesn't bring a storm into your life. We've got to begin with the word of God. In fact, I want to begin with the verse that we looked at. It says, therefore, anyone who hears these words of mine and puts them into practice... It's like a wise man who built his house on the rock. The rain came down, the streams rose, and the winds blew and beat against the house, yet it did not fall because it had its foundation on the rock. Listen, we have to recognize that the word of God is not there to restrict us. Let me say that again. The word of God is not there to restrict us because that's what we think. The word of God is there to keep us from having fun. The word of God is just the rules and regulations. And man, oh, the world is having such a great time. I'm telling you, the Bible says that the pleasures of sin are fun for a season. But but the residual effect of the pleasures of sin are depression, anxiety, fear, and worry. And I'm going to tell you, the Bible is not there to restrict us, but to create a solid foundation in our lives. It's there to guide us, to keep us going in the right direction in our lives. What the Word of God does is it provides warnings to us when we get off track in our lives. Most of you are familiar with rumble strips that the highway department puts out. If you veer off the highway a little bit, all of a sudden you hear this rumbling sound. Right? It's a lot of fun when your family's sleeping to drive over on the rumble strips. Or if they're on their phone and you're trying to talk to them and they won't talk to you, just get over there hey 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 now that you're paying attention to me can I ask you a quick question it's a lot of fun listen the rumble strips are not there to freak you out they're not there to make you think that you've got a flat tire or something's wrong with your car they're there to tell you that you are heading in the wrong direction they're there to tell you that you're getting a little bit off course and here's the cool thing they're both audible and they're felt In fact, a new word that I learned, tactile, it actually means that that they are felt. You can both hear them and you can feel them. It's the road sending you a text message. In fact, the message is telling you, look, you're moving into danger. You need to make some adjustments in your life. Here's, Here's the amazing thing about it, though. The rumble strip doesn't change you. It just tells you that you need to make a change. It doesn't fix you. It's just telling you that there's something in your life that you need to make an adjustment on. It's both audible and it's felt and it's warned you that you are heading in the wrong direction. This is what the Word of God does. See, the Word of God doesn't restrict us or make us change, but helps us recognize the path of life. God's saying, I'm going to love you in the ditch and I'm going to love you if you veer off into traffic. 
But that's not the path of life. In fact, that potentially could be the path of death. So it guides us to fall on the path of life. See, when God's word is hidden in our heart, when we begin to be off course, it's something that we can both hear and we can feel. See, we can hear it when we start recognizing that we are saying things that contradict or go against the word of God. I'm never going to be healed. I'm going to be broke the rest of my life. My wife is never, or my husband, excuse me, my husband is never going to change. We can begin to hear it in in our lives. And sometimes we get so used to the rumbling sound that we can't understand that it's actually rumbling anymore and we think it's the way it's supposed to be. We've talked negative for so long, we just think it's the way it's supposed to be. But that's a great time when we invite other people into our lives and they begin to become the rumble strip for us. And they begin to speak a little bit louder saying, oh, no, no, no. By his stripes, you actually were already healed. So God is a healer. Listen, God is a restorer. God is a God of restoration and healing. And God can heal your marriage. We get people to come into our lives to help us get back on course. It can be heard. It can also be felt. When we begin to feel an absence of peace in our lives, we can know that somewhere I've gotten off course. When we begin to be filled with fear, worry, and anxiousness, by the way, those aren't spiritual gifts. When we begin to be filled with those things, we can recognize I need to make a course correction. So why do we need rumble strips in our life? Let me share real things, three things real quickly as I close. Why we need rumble strips in our life. The first one is drifting happens. That's why we need rumble strips on the road and in life. Because drifting happens, doesn't it? And in life and in your car, how does that happen? It happens when you take your hand off the wheel. Hey, when you leave here today, get out on the highway, take your hands off the wheel. See how far, and don't use your knees, by the way, but just take your hands off the wheel and watch your car drift. Drifting happens in our lives. It happens when we don't get focused. Listen, it happens when you're not paying attention. It happens when you get tired. It happens when you fall asleep, which is one of the reasons why I want to die like my grandpa on his sleep, not like the four people in the car screaming with him. Thank you, folks. I'll be here all week. (laughs) Drifting happens. Listen, that's why we need a wake-up call from the road, from God's Word. And it's telling us to wake up. Listen, pay attention. You're drifting in your life. See, we drift in our relationship with God all the time. All of us? All of us do. All of us get distracted. The cares of this life knock us off course all the time. We've got to constantly be refocusing in our lives. We drift in our relationships all the time. So I sit down and I talk with couples and they tell me, man, we just drifted apart. Of course you did. You weren't paying attention. You weren't, you weren't dating anymore. You weren't pouring your life into them. You weren't giving yourself to them like you did when you were dating. And you drifted apart. It happens in churches. We get so used to everything in church. Well, I'm just not sure this church is for me anymore. Listen, you go to another church, you're going to drift there too. You get in another relationship, you're going to drift there too. Listen, and you never drift in the right direction. Have you noticed that? You've never tuned out and woken up, tuned out while you were driving and woken up in your garage. You didn't, you know, kind of, oh, man, oh, how did I get in my garage? I was 200 miles away, and suddenly I got here. It it doesn't happen. We don't drift the right way. We drift the wrong way. 
Which leads me to the second reason why we need rumble strips in our life. Because driving takes work. Driving, drifting happens on its own. Anybody could drift. But listen, but driving takes work. It takes someone that is paying attention to drive. Why? Because progress is expensive. You, it requires you to pay attention. All right? You have to pay attention to make progress in knowing God. You have to pay attention to make progress in your relationships. You have to pay attention to make progress in your career. You have to pay attention to make progress with your health. You have to pay attention to make progress in your finances. Listen, it doesn't just take but a lapse of attention for just a moment. A little sleeping at the wheel and you can find yourself off in a ditch that allows a storm to come into your life. Listen, some of you need to hear this so bad and today I'm the rumble strip for you. I'm the rumble strip in your life, and if you don't change some things, you're going to find yourself off in a ditch that's going to create a storm in your personal life, in your marriage, in your family, in your finances, in your health. Listen, it can lead to you dying or you ending up in jail. I'm telling you, it, it happens. It's, it's one degree off now, but drifting continues to widen that one degree. And drifting gets worse because it's subtle. We have to be intentional as we live our lives. You need to listen to the rumble and ask yourself, am I going off of a cliff? Am I about ready to get off in a ditch? Am I heading into oncoming traffic? Listen, where are your choices that you're making today taking you? See, we need the Holy Spirit to illuminate God's word on the inside of us and apply the rumble strip to our lives where needed. Why? Because here's the third and final point. You can't correct what you don't detect. Say that again. You can't correct what you don't detect. See, you have to know that correction is needed. It's one of the biggest challenges when anybody is overcoming anything in their life, a a bad habit, an addictive behavior, whatever it is. Unless they detect that as a problem, you can't correct it as a problem. And you've got to be honest at where you're really at. And you've got to be open to the fact that you may have some blind spots in your life. You may have some areas of your life that other people have been rumbling around you and saying, hey, you need to change. You need to stop that temper. Hey, you need to stop operating in fear. Hey, you need to stop that behavior. And because we're deaf to the rumble strip, we just keep right on going and we're going to find ourselves in a ditch or possibly even worse, veering into oncoming traffic. And not only are we going to damage us, but we're going to damage other people in our lives. So how many of you would say today, Pastor Richard, the Holy Spirit's really been dealing with me about some things for a while. There's been some rumbling that's been going on. And or would you say, Richie, I'm open and I want to have a heart to allow the Holy Spirit to speak those rumble strips to me. I'm going to ask you to lift your hands. By the way, I've got both my hands up today. There's some things that God's been dealing with me about that he's saying, hey, Richie, it's time to change some things in your life. And I want to be open to the rumbling of the Holy Spirit. Why? Because I know how good my God is. And I want his life in my life operating in the fullness of life that he has for me. Listen, it doesn't come when we get off in the ditch. Does God make us go into the ditch? Does God make us veer into oncoming traffic? Absolutely not. He's given us a free will. What my prayer for us today is that we'll hear the rumbling. So I'm just going to ask us to bow our heads and close our eyes.